0: Welcome to Crosstucks Conversations that Drive Innovation. In this podcast, we featured well-known payments expert Hugo Cuevas-Moore. This series is based on his 2023 book, Sending Money, Forex, Remittances, Migration, and the Fintech Revolution, which dives into the evolution of the cross-border financial services industry. Crosstucks is published by Crosstech, a conference and consultancy service company based in Miami, Florida. Each episode is 24 to 28 minutes long. Thank you for listening. Hi. In episode 5, I will explain how informal money transfers take place. In the last episode, we went through the fundamentals of formal cross-border payments, and understanding them makes it easier for me to explain informal ones. My first warning is to ensure you understand that informal does not necessarily mean illegal. Informality exists when there is no regulatory measure in place that prohibits the type of informal method used or practiced, or there is no regulatory clarity in place or enforcement, or where the formal methods are impractical, unethical, too restrictive, etc., Sometimes they can be referred to as black or grey markets. Let's take a look first at the most commonly known informal value transfer method, HAWALA. HAWALA has become a hunted word because of the difficulty of regulators, especially in the West, to accept and regulate this value exchange mechanism. This is mainly due to the compliance and control risks associated with the international movement of funds by this alternative payment system. The history of Hawala. Hawala or Hewala, the Arabic word for transfer or trust, which in different regions appears under other names, such as Havali in Persian, Sawala or Sawala in Somali, Hundi or Chidi in India and Southeast Asia, Padala in the Philippines, Fei Qian in China, and Wan in Thailand. I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce one of them the way it should be. These are all popular and informal systems of value transfer. The systems are not based on the movement of money, but on the compensation between two or more money brokers, known as hawaladars. These broker networks can be huge, very large, and have been operating simultaneously with traditional banking since banking was established. It is important to realize that the banking system operates a regulated hawala which refers to the compensation between institutions via a regulated clearing system, the way banks settle with each other. In some ways, Hawala follows Islamic traditions, but its usage is not limited to Muslims. However, the name has always caused a sting among compliance professionals and regulators. The UH diaspora have used this type of system for the private and inconspicuous management of their money for generations. There are many articles issued by regulatory agencies explaining this informal value transfer systems, IVTS. In last episode, I explained IVTOs, informal value transfer operators. These systems are also called IFTs, Informal Funds Transfers. One particular IMF document on the subject is very relevant because in 2003, it recognized the remittances of migrant workers among the legitimate uses of IVTs in addition to humanitarian emergency and relief aid in countries. Beginning in 2004, Due to the control needed over them in relation to the potential risks associated with their use by terrorist groups, the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates held four conferences on the subject. At the third conference in 2005, the IMF published recommendations for regulating these alternative systems. The fourth conference and last was in 2007. These informal systems have existed since ancient times and will continue to exist on a greater or lesser scale, aided by technology and instant communications. I have no doubts that cryptocurrency used by brokers in places where there is enough supply and demand is encouraging the development of a new breed of Hawaladars, and the arrival of stable cryptocurrencies will make it more common and more efficient and less risky as a means of settling payments internationally. The networks of money changers in Latin America have been based on the same principles of trust and honor, not only among brokers, but also among the clients who use or have used them, as we have been analyzing. Vincent classified the hawala in South America as part of this group of IVTs, calling a regional system in Colombia the Black Peso Market Exchange, or BMPE, in its advisory paper 33 of 2005. By the way, Vincent is the Federal Financial Investigation Unit of the U.S. Treasury. Like any informal system and any financial system in general, problems arise when they are permeated by criminal networks, especially with regard to drug trafficking, terrorism, corruption, illegal human or arms trafficking. Professor and researcher Nikos Pasas conducted an extensive analysis on IVTs in 2005 that is worth reading to understand the different mechanisms these informal systems use. Like most published reports on IVTs, this one emphasizes their use to evade controls and support money laundering networks rather than showing the payment systems daily and legitimate utilization, which was not the intention of Dr. Passes, who I had the pleasure to have as a panelist in a cross conference. As all the studies on how insurgent groups manage their finances and the funding of terrorist networks show that all possible channels, formal and informal, banking and non-banking systems are used when it comes to moving money. It's the same for corruption, fraud, tax evasion, etc. Complex mechanisms where legal and illegal activities intermingle with each other have been developed. And anyone involved in preventing the use of their institution for the movement of funds for criminal purposes needs to be aware. Understanding and analyzing obscure patterns, documenting them, and reporting them is the only way to help dismantle elaborate financial criminal schemes. There is no financial institution in the world that is immune pretending to be immune is a fallacy and leads to many many mishaps the hawala system or clearing systems used by nbfis has been regulated in some countries based on know your customer kyc rules the reporting of transactions over established threshold the origin and use of funds and the registration or licenses of the individuals or businesses involved in Hawala. Section 358 of the Patriot Act by the U.S. government after the 2001 New York attacks expanded the concept of financial institution. Thus, all IVTOs in the United States are subject to the same compliance rules of any money service business, MSB, including registration with regulators, maintenance of transaction records, suspicious transaction reports, currency transaction reports, and other compliance requirements detailed in the AML, Anti-Money Laundering, and CTF, (counter-terrorism Financing Regulation and Programs. Now, it is false that Hawala is illegal, as is claimed in many documents, books, etc., If the entity offers a clearing service or settlement similar to Hawala and complies with the requirements of MSBs in the U.S., payment institutions in Europe, or whatever other licenses are in any country, it may offer its services to the public. IVT systems that handle money from illegal activities are now referred as Black Hawala to make a distinction with White Hawala. I have addressed this issue of compensation by Hawala in numerous articles over time. In a blog in 2020, I wrote, TransferWise, now Wise, was the new kid on the block when it arrived at IMTC World in Miami in 2015. Christo Karm and Tavet Irincus, Estonians in London, founded the company in 2011. I remember how they introduced themselves at this time as a digital hawala, which created startles among the participants of the event. Kenya's central bank, in its 2021 annual report, noted that the cost of sending remittances through Hyundai operators was the lowest, at 0.4%. Other types of hawala were quoted at 3%, and this is comparing it to 3% for banks, 4% for MTOs, and 4.7% for MMOs, mobile money operators. This should make everyone think twice when it's stated that digital channels and mobile money are always the cheapest alternatives. The high cost of formal channels, or the regulatory restrictions they may have, the attempts to tax remittances, or to stop remittances for political reasons, may lead individuals to turn to cheaper informal channels that might be more accessible to some customers. Every time there is an international conflict, local financial crisis, disruption in formal financial operations due to financial crisis, war, natural disasters, many of these informal systems are the first to offer fund transfer services. Cases are banned all over the world, and Somalia is probably the most documented case. The issue of Hawala arises time and time again when a government seeks to formalize or fight it in order to channel incoming or outgoing funds through the banking systems, always claiming that this favors the country's economies. But does it benefit migrant families who often achieve a reduction of cost and maybe better exchange rates using informal systems? I often ask, why not make an effort to formalize these systems, looking for ways that they can coexist with the financial sector and the banking sector, which is always looking to portray themselves as the best channel for financial inclusion and the country's financial development? I think it can be achieved in many countries in the world. The West's cultural ignorance of the Islamic State's handling of money, coupled with the existing geopolitical apprehension, makes it difficult to understand the importance of these methods in societies that are reluctant to follow the precepts of a world dominated by different financial practices. A doctor of law, a writer, and entrepreneur, Edwina Thompson, has published important texts on Hawala for those who work in or with countries where these systems are prevalent. In a document entitled Misplaced Blame, Slam, Terrorism and the Origins in Hawala, Edwina clearly explains how important understanding Hawala is and states. Although not publicized widely, humanitarian relief workers are among the first to recognize the indispensable service of local money dealers, or Hawaladars, for the delivery of funds in both war-torn areas and states in crisis. By the way, her company and NGO, Amana Card and Secure Aid, were founded in London, And they are self-sustaining social enterprises. They are meant to reach out to as many people as possible in conflict zones and crisis areas. In 2022, in Bangladesh, Hundi made the front page news. The Bangladeshi government's financial minister stated that half of the country's incoming remittances, close to 4 billion, arrived through this ancestral system. This happens despite the government's benefiting banks that pay remittances with bonuses to improve the exchange rate such as Pakistan does. The Hyundai system was explained in a negative light, but one journalist blamed the government's restrictions for the outflow of capital, which prompted the parallel market called Kerb to skyrocket. Professors Mohamed Misenour Raham of Qatar University and Brenda Yeo of the National University of Singapore published a detailed report titled The Social Organization of Hundi, Channeling Migrant Remittances from East and Southeast Asia to Bangladesh, which contributes to understand this delicate subject and the need to find ways to manage it. British authorities call the informal system of moving funds around the world by the Chinese diaspora underground banking. Due to its secrecy, very little is known about customers and service providers, unless LIAs, law enforcement agencies, conduct investigations when these networks are involved in criminal activities beyond their communities, such as drugs or human trafficking. High-profile cases have occurred in Europe, the US, and other countries against these Chinese networks. In China, foreign exchange issues are controlled by the SAFE, State Administration of Foreign Exchange. This is a government agency under the control of the central bank since 1998. The main law was originally enacted in 1996 and was updated in 2008. For 2022, the maximum value of foreign exchange transactions allowed to a citizen in a calendar year is the equivalent of $50,000. And the maximum value of overseas withdrawals with a Chinese bank card has been set as around $14,000. These limits don't explain the huge investment in real estate and other assets by Chinese citizens worldwide. The Chinese government has tightened controls both in mainland China and now in Hong Kong to prevent the outflow of large sums of money from the country. These capitals have been a driving force in the economies of developed countries, especially in the construction sector, which could be affected over time by additional control measures. Andreas Antonopoulos, a Greek author and lecturer, a promoter of cryptocurrencies, does not mince his words in criticizing the government's exchange control policies and manipulated determination to benefit pressure groups. At the Levit Conference in 2018 in Santiago, Chile, where I shared the stage with Andreas, He spoke clearly and openly about the color of markets. This talk is available in a video, which you can listen. He said, The real question is the differences between white and black markets. People who use these terms only want to associate white markets as good, legal, functional, fair, safe, moral, and black markets as bad, illegal, dysfunctional, Unfair, unsafe, and immoral. Everything is basically trash. These markets only differ in one thing, licenses. The white market is regulated, but the black market is not. There is nothing essentially moral or immoral about white or black markets. Selling bombs to the UAE is part of the white market. It even pays taxes, but it is ethical. However, a person selling bananas on the street without a permit is considered part of a black market. Is this moral? In the episode before this one, I shared my opinions on the responsibility of governments for allowing, facilitating, supporting, and regulating money transfers so that this service is offered competitively and democratically. One example is Cuban remittances from the U.S. that have long been at the heart of a political debate. Limiting and controlling remittances to Cuba have been cast as a way to sustain the leftist regime. Sanctions of all kinds, such as pressure on banks and non-bank financial institutions, have been implemented on and on. Have they been useful? I have my doubts, since remittances have continued to flow to the island when they have been prohibited in the U.S. The senders have to pay an increased price, send these remittances through relatives in third countries, or rely on more expensive and insecure pathways and alternative services, including, and more frequently now, the use of cryptocurrencies. The more barriers to the use of formal means the more informality is incentivized. Most cryptocurrency buying and selling is informal in the majority of developing countries. I can buy Bitcoin in a regulated licensed crypto exchange, a Bitcoin ATM, or informally from a friend, and then I can send it to anyone in the world with a Bitcoin wallet and a cross-border payment has taken place. The recipient can convert it to fiat, exchanging it formally, if it exists, in this country or informally to another person that can give fiat and needs Bitcoin. By the way, fiat is the name for any state-issued currency. Some online services connect buyers and sellers of cryptocurrencies. One of the most popular is LocalBitcoins, founded in Helsinki, Finland, by two brothers in 2012, and has been expanding ever since. Buyers and sellers connect and post ads specifying how many Bitcoins they wish to sell or buy, the payment method, and commissions. Communication and contact through this medium allow users to meet online or in person within and outside their own countries or cities to conduct transactions. These Bitcoin personal exchanges don't involve intermediaries, these are real people backed by a community who reviews and makes it possible to verify users' trustworthiness. Some authorities have attempted to limit or regulate this activity to prevent the illegal use of local bitcoins. The company has limited as part of efforts to establish know your customer programs, the values or the frequency of transactions. With tokens, exchange of value is also a way to move money. You can now transform any real asset, property, for example, tokenize it, divide the property into tokens, sort of like shares, and trade the tokens. You can tokenize gold, diamonds, etc. Hawala and crypto have found each other, and the movement of funds across borders is happening. Mother and Hawaladars can settle with crypto between themselves while keeping the operation with the regular customers in fiat, receiving local currency and promising the delivery of local currency in another country. While in Istanbul a couple of months ago, an Iranian shopkeeper told me that this is what he does to send money home. He goes to a shop next to him who has a network in Iran that can make payments in more than 15 cities and towns across that country. Now, how large is the informal remittance market? Some analysts say that in some corridors, it can be 6 to 70% larger than formal corridors. But on the average, it can be 15 to 20%. In fact, nobody clearly knows. In a June 22 article, analysts Fernandez, Anaya, and Sultanov warned central bankers to be aware of these informal flows, saying, The enormous size of informal remittance flows, estimated at 35 to 75 percent of recorded remittance flows, remains unaccounted for within the formal system of remittances, thus impacting their incorporation into a broader policymaking, monitoring, and estimation of accurate financial indicators, such as foreign exchange reserves and the sovereign credit rating. Lack of information in formal remittances, for instance, limits the availability of economic data, negatively affecting monetary policy decisions and hampering the channeling of remittances to productive sectors of the economy, such as investment, enterprise creation, real estate investments, microcredits, among others. Most users of informal remittance channels don't really care about the macroeconomics of the use of informal systems. They just care about the ease or cost of using those channels. Let's close this episode now. Next two episodes, I'm going to tell you the interesting story of foreign exchange, as forex trading is an integral part of cross-border payments, and the rules and regulations of that specific sector, the foreign exchange sector, also applies to money transfers, as well as the compliance rules developed by regulators. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crosstalks: conversations that drive innovation. The book, Sending Money, is available on Amazon. For comments, questions, and feedback, use our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. See you soon.